0: Hello there and welcome to the Michael Castle Group podcast series, Front Row. Margaret Throsby is my name and my special guest today joins us from the Australian production of Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, now playing at the Princess Theatre in Melbourne and he's playwright, Jack Thorne. Jack, welcome. Thank you. Good to talk to you. I want to hear about the origins of your involvement with this, this
1: project.
0: When it was first told to you, hey, we're going to make a play, how close to the, to the beginning was that?
1: I don't quite know the timeline. I don't know when Sonia and Colin talked to Joe, for instance. Uh, I, I know uh, that it was, I was walking down the street with John Tiffany um, and John said to me, uh, they've offered me the Harry Potter play. And I went, he's a good mate of mine. So I was like, that's amazing, mate. That's brilliant. Uh, How exciting. I never considered what would be the next sentence, which is, do you fancy having a go at it? Um, And, uh, yeah, I sort of, you know, uh, I fell off the pavement. I was, you know, I was genuinely very, very shocked. I don't know quite, yeah, I don't know quite where it all fitted. I think John had already met Joe by that point. Uh, um, But, but, yeah, I'd not even met Sonia. Uh, so, yeah, I met Sonia that day.
0: What made you say yes?
1: Oh, well, that wasn't, uh, you know, uh, I think everyone else sort of wrestled with it, but for me, there was no wrestling. I was uh, ridiculously stupid and just kind of dived in straight away and went, of course, uh, that would be amazing. And then I thought about it and went, oh, wow. <laughs> what have I done? Exactly.
0: Were you a Harry Potter fan? Did you yes. know a lo- Oh, were you?
1: Yeah, huge. Yeah. Well,
0: that's a big start, isn't
1: it? Yes. Sonia always says that, because uh, Sonia read it to a Godchildren. Uh, John read it to um, his nephews. I read it to myself. I'm, you know, the total, yeah, Potterhead. I, I'm, I'm into, I'm a nerd.
0: So you'd read the books, you'd seen the movies. Yes. Now the idea of a play was presented. Did yes. you? Did I mean? What was the appeal? Just Just being a Harry Potter fan is nice, but and very helpful, probably. But did you see any inherent? danger in in adapting this enormous popular figure for the
1: stage not not at that moment and then subsequently the danger sort of screamed at me every day for two years oh, no uh, don't uh, tell me no uh, the, the the that that the 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 sort of you know the horror of like letting down that world became much more apparent the reason why i sort of blithely Uh, walked into it like a, I don't know, uh, an idiot, Uh, was that, uh, was A, it was a book I loved. And I always think things you love, you'll always find a way through it. Um, B, uh, John asked me, and uh, I've known John for 20 years. And I was always sort of a, one of his fans too so it was like i was a fan of the books and i was a fan of john tiffany and we'd done we'd done one play together at that point and we were sort of getting ready to do another and just i would say yes to anything he asked me to do uh, and i trust him implicitly so yes i was a fool uh, but but i was a fool uh, who had one ally who wasn't a fool so uh, that that hopefully made it okay and then of course gathered other allies in in Sonia and Colin and then ultimately in Joe hmm. who was an incredible ally
0: now tell me about Joe Joe jo, as you call her we all know her as JK Rowling yes Joe Joe is the well it way feels weird me.
1: saying JK yes, when you know course. someone do you know uh, what I mean like you know so it's just that yeah
0: what was she like when you when you very first met her she knew who you were obviously and you certainly knew who she was
1: yeah she but it, she was amazing Um, We started off talking about, I I think her son had just turned 10 and we were talking about how difficult 10 was for a boy in particular because I think... Uh, the thing that I was saying to her was, I think girls come to the realization that they might be unpopular earlier. I remember very clearly at the age of ten realizing that it's possible I could never have any friends ever again, sort of thing. And and you know what I mean, like you know that just that sort of like. And so it was slightly talking about him and slightly talking about Harry and that moment of going to school. And then she started talking about her being getting the wrong haircut. I got the wrong coat. Do you know what I mean? Like you know, and just that awkwardness of being that age, and uh, and uh, it just sort of rolled from there, and then uh, Neil, her lovely husband, came in with bags of food from Pratt, and uh, do you know what I mean? That like, you know, it was a very casual, relaxed, it wasn't, you know what I mean? Like, you know, this uber formal, sort of like goddess of literature, it was just Jo, and she was amazing right from the beginning, and that first day we spent to together, the three of us in that writing room, was, was you know, yeah, will always remain one of the most thrilling of my life.
0: Just one thing you said then uh, made me think you were talking about, you know, getting the wrong coat when you're 10 and, uh, you know, yeah. you're, not, you're not part of the, the peer group is saying, oh, uh, making fun of you well, or whatever. I, it
1: was the same coat as Matt Cox had got, and it was the weekend, you know, the, we both bought it on the weekend, yeah. but Matt Cox was much more attractive and much more popular than I was. So he looked much better in his coat Damn. and everyone liked him for wearing that coat. And then if you're the kid that turns up the same day, it looks like you've copied Mac uh, and, and that's a terror. Yeah. How,
0: however, Mac could have felt the same thing. He could have said, oh, Jack got that coat too, you know.
1: pretty sure he didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, he contacted me because I said, I talked about this in a thing and he contacted me and said, I had no idea you, (laughs) you know, it was like that for you and I was like, of course you didn't. You were were tremendously popular and tremendously brilliant. And we're very good at self-torture when we're 10. Oh, God, we really are, we really are. I think it's a much unappreciated age of terror. You know that everyone sort of talks about the teenage years. I think ten was horrific.
0: So do I.
1: Yeah, awesome. actually,
0: yeah. I think ten was probably harder than thirteen or fourteen. I think right. little girls of thirteen or fourteen are probably the meanest things on on the earth. Yeah. yeah. But little girls and boys of ten can be, in a, you girls,
1: know. But girls, girls, don't you don't you sort of realise that earlier? Don't isn't it sort of like seven, eight? No, I was totally unconscious. <laughs> <of those. laughs> you're having a great time.
0: But do you know what I was going to say? That um, the, the two dominant houses in the school, in Hogwarts, in yeah. Harry Potter, are Gryffindor and Slytherin. Yes. And if you're in Gryffindor, then you're in. And if you're in Slytherin, you're out. And, you know, the one is mo- most desirable. It really is a sort of metaphor for, for life, isn't it? You're either yeah. in or you're out. You're yeah. Either. Part of the in crowd, part of
1: the out crowd. I'm not sure I would agree, I I think that Slytherin, if you're in Slytherin, you probably think of yourself as very, um, you you probably enjoy it, you you know, so I don't know necessarily that they automatically feel like they're outside the system, Mm. or if they do feel like they're outside the system, it's because the system is flawed, Uh, so there's sort of, I think probably more dangerous is perhaps being a lonely Ravenclaw. Do you know what I mean? Like you know, like you know that, that that maybe, but I don't know. I mean, I think too much about all this Hogwarts yeah. stuff, anyway. But you know what I mean? Like you know, and <laughs> I, I've been thinking about it for a very long time. But you know, yeah, I don't know. That uh, I I think there's a sort of glory in being a Slytherin. Yeah. It's just that our two boys aren't very good at being Slytherins.
0: Yeah. Okay. So you. You just, you agreed to do the play, you talked yes. to Joe Rowling, you had meetings, you were working with John Tiffany, who you trusted and liked. Yes. And the idea of it being a play, although in another discussion with, with Stephen Hoggart, we were talking about it perhaps being a different genre altogether. It's not a play and it's not a musical. It's something, and it's not in between, it's something yeah. completely separate. Yeah. But um, the decision was to, t- to tell it in two parts, which I think production wise is fine but it's also difficult in a sense that you've got to see part one then you've got to see part two yeah but also the expense of mounting a double yeah,
1: yeah. a double act
0: ah. is terrific isn't it
1: yeah um, it was, it was a ludicrous decision. whose
0: decision was it to make it
1: it was uh, so we were sitting with the producers and uh, and it came from the two of them it came from Colin and Sonia um, that that I'd at that point written, uh, quite a lengthy treatment. Uh, I think it went to 70 pages. And they were sitting reading it, you know, working on it with us. And they said, We're not sure we're going to be able to do this uh, in one part. And honestly, it hadn't occurred to me. I, I, I was the naivest person in the world. I sort of thought that I could be able to get through it all. But But the truth is, and this is what this is what they said, and John agreed with that if we did that version, we 'd always be in a rush we 'd always be powering through getting through plot, then this happens, then this happens, then this happens, then this happens, and there 'd be no time for the sort of contemplation that we all hoped for, no time for the you know the uh, delving into the psychology of these characters.
0: Can I ask you this there are quite a few plays that are very, very long. Yes. I'm thinking of you know some Irish examples of that, yeah. but plays that are told over five or six hours, yes. you know, with lengthy um, intervals so people can have dinner and so forth. Yeah. Um, was that, I, I wonder whether, because it's a lot of children are attending this, that's just not an
1: option here? I and mean, we sort of are nah, that play, you know what I mean? Like, you know, that, 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 that it doesn't go part one, act one, act two, part two, act one, act two, it's actually act one, act two, act three, act four. Exactly. So, so it, it is one play, yeah. it's just it's one play told over two parts because that was the only way of making it work. So
0: was that liberating for you?
1: Uh, no, because I had to then write it, because we were on a timetable, and so I had to write even faster <laughs> in order to be able to do it. So yes, it was liberating, and yes, it was completely the right decision. I knew it was completely the right decision. And actually, the next sentence that John said after the two parts is I know exactly when part one ends. Okay. And, and so you were like, oh, okay, I see that. I can see the play. And yeah, but, but it, was, it, was, it was a daunting task. Made even more daunting
0: <laughs> are you a playwright who or a writer who responds to pressure like that in a positive way or does it just make you i mean do you ask for trouble by making you putting yourself under such pressure
1: yeah i think so or do yeah. you
0: produce better do you are you conscious of producing actually better work because you've got a deadline they're expecting the script you know
1: i'd never miss a deadline and i'm um, I'm someone. I was the kid that got his homework in on time, and that sort of stayed with me. Though recently, I think I've got slightly less good at it. So maybe um, uh, Potter's ruined me. Um, But um, uh, yeah, yeah. So I I, I, and yeah, I do like a deadline. I do like being told when something is due and knowing that I've got to. You know, if I have to survive on three hours sleep for a week, then do you know what I mean? Like, you know, there's part of me that quite enjoys the challenge of that.
0: One of the great things about this is putting words into the mouth of a character who's ob- who's very well-formed in books, yeah. right through all the books, right through all the films. We all know who Harry Potter is. Yeah. Suddenly you're coming on board, giving him words to say.
1: Yeah. And he's 40.
0: And he's 40.
1: So, so, do you know what I mean? Almost 40. So, you know what I mean? That, you know, so that that is a different type of Harry to the Harry that people have known. Um... I, uh, yeah, the the, the one thing I did right from the start is, in that treatment that I was writing, I always wrote scripting, because I never wanted to be presented with the challenge of suddenly having to write dialogue. So I always wanted dialogue to be part of the process. But
0: that's what playwriting is, writing dialogue.
1: Yes, but when you're writing a treatment, it was a story document. Oh, I see. So so that that was literally, my job was to write down exactly what happened when, Um, And not necessarily to script any of the parts of it, but it felt to me important to Lance that boil and to write some lines for Harry for Hermione for Ron and to have her read those lines and See whether she could at all imagine me being capable of being able to do it
0: Mm. Did you at any point think kids are not going to accept this. I mean, they've grown up with Harry Potter being, first of all, a boy and then an adolescent, but not a man of 40, you know. Did Did that ever concern you?
1: Uh, no, not really. The bits that concerned me were where we could take Harry and where Harry now was. I thought that they could cope with the idea of Harry getting older. I worried about them coping with the idea of a Harry that's as flawed as our Harry is. Um, But at the same time, I really wanted it to be true to what had made him and what happens when you're made that way and what it's like being a dad when you've never had a dad and all those kind of things. And those were the things that I was thinking about and I was, but, but to give you an instance, there's a moment in the play when Harry says something completely unforgivable to his son And I wrote that in the treatment. And then when I wrote the first draft, I didn't have it in there. And John phoned me up and went, where is it? That to me was the moment when the play came alive.
0: I was going to say that for me was the essence. That was the absolute essence of what this story is about. And I became
1: frightened of it. I became frightened of that because I think I was frightened of people being upset by that version of Harry. And so I sort of wanted to walk away from it and John was like, no, we have to, that, that's, you, you got our Harry right, do you know what I mean, like, you know, you were telling, that was the moment when I realised that, that this was a play that you were telling and that to me is, and that, John saying that to me was hugely important for how I then tackled the rest of it.
0: Mm. You've talked candidly in the past about anxiety and ex- suffering yeah. from anxiety. Is it something that you've learned to harness to your advantage or is it something at, to, at which
1: you're the mercy of? I spent six months flat on my back because my body stopped moving because of anxiety. I don't think it's something that I'm comfortable with.
0: When How old were you when that happened? 21. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: but uh, it's... I I I'm I feel like the luckiest person in the world and that thing my dad has a phrase you know every year has been the best year of his life because he's although there's been some really dark times in those years they've all contributed to to where he is now and he's he refuses to be unhappy with where he is now and I feel very very happy to be where I am now and so anxiety whatever it is whatever the bits are that got me to this point. I'm okay. grateful to them.
0: It's interesting to hear you say that, because you could say that you've taken on a profession which gives you mountains of anxiety. I mean, the,
1: yeah, it really does, so it's like you're tormenting yourself in a way. Yeah, and there's times when I'm, uh, you know, uh, the the the... Uh, no one should sit by me when I'm watching something I've written because I I, I mouth all the words. I mean I'm terrible. I'm <laughs> like you know, and I sit there and I hold my breath. Too well, let and, me, let you me ask
0: you this: the first night you saw this play yes. uh, in the, in London,
1: yes, what was it like? It was it was hard, and it was one of our hardest shows actually. That it was uh, the it, it was interesting because it was with uh, you know not not much of an audience, and then and then. And then the next time we did it, there was slightly more audiences. We did two invited dresses, and there was slightly more audience. And then the, the first preview, suddenly it was a rock concert, and they were going so wild from the first five minutes of the show that you just sort of sat back and you, you know what I mean? Like you know, and there were owls flying everywhere and all sorts. But it was, it was, uh, you know, that it sort of. The, the fear left me. It then came back, um, but the fear left me that night. And that was, um, and, and I think everyone that was there that night, it was an experience unlike any other.
0: Well, I was in the audience last night. When I walked out last night into the warm Melbourne evening, yeah. I thought, that is a creation for theatre unlike anything I've ever seen. Thank you. Jack, thank you very much for talking today. It's been
1: terrific to talk to you. It's been really fun, thank you very much.